God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That, that's not true. Uh, that bumper sticker should read, God said it. That settles it, whether I believe it or not, right? So uh, we, God doesn't ask for my help when it comes to what we need to do about baptism. But he does show me what baptism is for when we read his scripture. Do we think about it and prepare for the Romans class that I thought we were going to have tonight? Uh, God's word that's been revealed to us is such a blessing. There are a lot of folks that don't have God's word. You know, they don't have. We take for granted we can go to Walmart, we can go to the bookstore, we can go to McKay's, we can go to a motel room. They've got Bibles everywhere. Uh, most of us have at least one Bible, and it's most a lot of us have several Bibles, different translations. There are a lot of folks in this world that don't even have their own personal copy of the Bible. So it is a blessing for us to have God's word and say, okay. What does God say about baptism? So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at, and I've titled this message, The Benefits of Baptism. Uh, what we accomplish when we're baptized. What are the benefits of baptism? And while we look through this, we're going to talk about what baptism does for us, why we baptize the way that we do, who we baptize, and this idea of growing up in Christ, if you haven't been baptized yet, I'd like to, for you to consider it, because I think God's Word uh, commands it. I was going to say God's Word encourages it, but it's, it's more than that. God's Word commands it. So what are some benefits of being baptized? First of all, one of the benefits of being baptized is the fact that we're following an example set by Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We see here that Jesus begins his earthly ministry by being baptized. And I and I chose Mark's account because it's the briefest of the accounts of Jesus' baptism. You can read Matthew, you can read Luke, you can read some other accounts to get more detail. But what I just wanted to show is the fact that one of the benefits of baptism is doing what Jesus did. Doesn't the name Christian mean Christ-like? So if we're going to be like Christ, and as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, more than anything, I want to be like him. I want to pattern my life after him. And part of the pattern that Jesus left for us was baptism. Jesus was baptized. Now notice that Jesus was not baptized at the end of his ministry, but at the beginning. Jesus is getting ready to start his public ministry. Jesus was baptized basically to inaugurate his ministry. He's ready to say, I belong to God. I belong to the Father. I've set my life apart to do this. And he's baptized to, uh, to accomplish that. Jesus, baptism is not for the remission of sins. How do we know that? Jesus had no sins that needed remitting, right? But he was still baptized. Jesus, when he began his ministry, he was about 30 years old, roughly, he, when he began his ministry, the first thing he did was to go be baptized. And if I'm going to follow the example set by Jesus, I'm going to be baptized early in my Christian walk. 
I'm on his side. I'm joining his team. I'm in his army. I was in Satan's army. Now I'm in Jesus' army. And we should do that and we should do it early in our Christian walk. But another benefit that we have by being baptized, not only are we following an example set by Jesus, we're also following an example set by the early Christians. It ought to be the mindset and the goal of every Christian to follow as closely as possible not only the life and examples given by Jesus, but also the examples of those early Christians who came to know Jesus. Can I say this? May we never become so sophisticated and progressive and technological that we place ourselves above the examples of early Christians. We never need to get to the point at this that we say, well, that was then and this is now and they, they didn't even have the printing press. They didn't even have running water. That, that was a different age and a different time. These folks that lived in this age, a lot of them saw Jesus. They heard Jesus. They were taught by Jesus. And if they weren't taught by Jesus, they were taught by his apostles who had been discipled by Jesus. So the early church, the early Christians, give us an example of, of, of being baptized. And we see that all through the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 10, if you would. Acts chapter 10. We find several truths about baptism. We see here the conversion of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. He's the first purely Gentile convert in the New Testament. We know that the church was established in Acts 2. Uh, it was a Jewish church. It was established in Jerusalem. But Jesus told his apostles right before he ascended back into heaven, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so with the coming of persecution, uh, Jewish persecution of the Christians, they started moving out of Rome and started taking the gospel out into the world, and that gospel got to the Gentiles, and Peter, one of the apostles, in a vision, sees a vision of clean and unclean animals. Up to this point, the Jews thought the Gentiles were inferior to them. They looked at the Gentiles as, as dogs. Racism is nothing new. Racism has gone on since, a, since the beginning of time, and Peter had a vision that God's cleaned everything. There is no clean and unclean anymore. And about the time Peter saw that vision, some guys came and knocked on, came and knocked on the door of the house where Peter was staying and, or staying and said, we want you to come with us to visit Cornelius. And Peter had gotten a vision from an angel that says, these men are coming from you for you. You go to them. So Peter goes to Cornelius. That's Acts chapter 10. He gets there, and the whole house, uh, notice what he says in Acts 10.33, what Cornelius said. Cornelius said, I sent to you, that's Peter, immediately, and you've done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded to you by God. I've often wondered how Peter thought, addressing this Gentile audience. Cornelius not only wants to hear the gospel for himself, but he gets everybody he can get there so they can hear the words of God. They're excited about hearing Peter preach. And so Peter begins to preach. And 
He says in verse 34, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality or is no respecter of persons. One of the things we learn about baptism here is that baptism is for all people of all races. Sometimes I'm not sure we understand that in middle class Caucasian America. If you ask the world what Christianity is, they will say for the most part it's a white religion. But did you know that when you look at the nations all over the world and the church all over the world that we make up a minority? The gospel is for every people of every nation of every tongue. God is no respecter of persons. If a believer comes to me and wants to be baptized, I don't care if they're white, black, brown, yellow, green. Maybe they're sick for summer. They might be green. The racial ethnicity doesn't matter. So the first thing Peter says, I perceive, I've learned that God is no respecter of persons. I'm not sure, y'all, before Peter had his vision, that he would have been able to make that statement. I think that vision that he got from God opened his eyes, and now when he comes to a household full of Gentiles, he's going, aha. Have you ever read a scripture in the Bible, and you really didn't understand it, you kind of filed it back in the back of your mind, and maybe sometime later or whatever, you'd be like, oh, that's what that means. I think that's where Peter is here. So he starts off by saying, I perceive, I understand that God is no respecter of a person. Verse 35, in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, look at that next phrase. He is Lord of who? The Jews? All. People, y'all are listening. That's good. He is the Jew. He's the, the Lord of everybody. Baptism is for all. Baptism is for all races. It's for all people. It's for all cultures. It's for all social statuses. It's for all economic statuses. He's the God of the poor. He's the God of the rich. He's the God of the sick. He's the God of the well. He's the God of the smart. He's the God of the not so smart. He's the God of the pretty and the handsome and the not so pretty and handsome. Amen. He is Lord of so that's the first thing that we see here. But if you'll skip over with me to verse 43. Actually, verse four, well, verse 43. To him, that's about Jesus, all the prophets witness that through Jesus' name, whoever believes in him, in Jesus, will receive remission of sins. Not only is baptism for all people, for all nations and people, Baptism is for believers. One of our Baptist distinctives is one thing that, that makes us Baptist is we have what we call believers' baptism. Uh, some denominations will baptize children and baptize infants. When you look through the book of Acts, and that's where our examples of conversion are in the New Testament, they were believers. Uh, Paul, Peter kind of makes it plain in verse 43. Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. I'll baptize any believer of any race, any social status, but the first question I'm going to ask them before I baptize them is, are you a believer? Do you believe? Understand?
understand this baptism is not going to make you a believer. This baptism is not going to save you. Believers were baptized. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Ghost had been poured out on the Gentiles also. These verses show us that baptism is not for saved people. Or, or rather, baptism does not save us. I made it wrong to say baptism is for saved people. This shows us that baptism does not save us. How do I know that? These folks haven't been baptized. They're not baptized until verse 48, 47 and 48. What happens in verses 44 and 45? The Holy Spirit falls on them. They start speaking in tongues. I've got a question. Does the Holy Spirit fall on unsaved people? It does not. One of the signs of our salvation is we, we get the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't speak in tongues the same way they did in the first century. That was the, the, the reason for that tongue speaking. The first century Christians at Pentecost, they spoke in tongues to show that, man, something of God's going on. These Gentiles, I'm convinced, speak in tongues to show the Jews that they've got salvation just like they did. And notice what's said in verse 44. Verse 45, rather. Those of the circumcision, that's the Jews, who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the Gentiles also. God needed a way to show these Jews who believed for thousands of years that the only people that had the right a relationship and a covenant with God were Jews. Now, God's made it possible for the Gentiles to be in that same covenant, and the Jews are going to need some convincing, right? What better way to show that the, the Holy Spirit fallen on them just like it did to the Jews? Is everybody with me there? Baptism did not save Cornelius. <coughs> Baptism did not save Jesus. First of all, Jesus didn't Cornelius, he was saved. He and those folks that were listening who believed, they were saved at the moment of faith. And so, let's keep reading. Verse 46, For well, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can any one forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay a few days. Baptism does not save us. Baptism is an identification. Baptism is used to show that we identify with Jesus Christ. What Peter says here is since these folks have been saved, they've got the Holy Spirit just like we have. Does anybody have any reason why they should be baptized just like we were? They've got the same Holy Spirit. It's the same gospel, same Jesus, the same Lord. Baptism happens after salvation. But notice, Peter does not say, I see you all have saved. You have, you have the Holy Spirit. Why don't you guys stay here and, and read your Bibles and be, be good Christians? And in a couple of years, I'll come back. And if y'all are still doing, walking with the Lord, then I'll baptize you. Did you notice how quickly he baptized them? Right then, right? It was done right at that moment. 
verse 25, Acts 16, 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loose. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are still here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Notice they don't say, Believe and be baptized. He says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You and your household. This does not mean that the children and the babies would be saved, but this does mean those of your household who believe. You believe, and those of your household who believe, you will be saved. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and watched their stripes, and immediately he and his family were baptized. Now here's a question. We know it's at least midnight because the earthquake happened at midnight. Would all of y'all be in agreement with me that midnight's in the middle of the night? Uh, it, it's, it's sleepy time, right? Around midnight. Uh, this earthquake happens. Basically a miracle happens. I think it's Holy Spirit orchestrated. I think Paul probably, it's not shown here, but I think Paul tells these uh, prisoners not to leave. It says their shackles were open. The jailer thinks they've all left, and under Roman law, if a jailer loses his prisoners, they take his life, so he's getting ready to kill himself. And Paul says, do yourself no harm, for everybody's still here. And the jailer understands a miracle's happened. The jailer understands something's happened way beyond anything he's ever experienced. He says, what do I need to do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's interesting, verse 33, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And when were they baptized? Immediately, right? Here's a question. If baptism wasn't important, you suppose they could have waited till morning? If baptism wasn't important, could they have said, you know, let's do this at noon tomorrow or next Sunday? Uh, the more I read scripture, I get convicted that we really and truly probably should have our baptistry ready to go at any service. Because if the Lord convicts, the Lord saves someone, the Lord convicts someone that they need to be saved, we probably don't need to say, let's wait till next week. Or let's wait till the week after that. Uh, it ought to be something that we, that we do. And that's from scripture. That's not something that I've I'm thinking of in my head. I know some churches, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but in a couple of times a year they'll have a, they'll save all their baptisms up and they'll have baptism Sunday. And, and we haven't exactly, God hasn't said do it this time and this way, but the examples of baptism, all of them, we're just going to look at three this morning, but all the examples in Acts, folks are baptized immediately. So that tells us that baptism, it doesn't save us, but it's important. It's important in the walk of a Christian to not only understand he's been saved, 
They both go down into the water. They both come up out of the water. A couple of things we see out of this example of conversion. Once again, baptism is for believers. Uh, something else we learn from this passage is that you can use the Old Testament to bring somebody to Jesus. Do we understand the early Christians, the early church, they exploded in numbers and they didn't have the New Testament. It hadn't been written yet. They brought people to Christ from the Old Testament. Uh, so that, that also shows that Old Testament is Scripture just as much as New Testament is Scripture. But for our purposes this morning, more importantly than that, in this example, baptism, they go down into the water, they come up out of the water. Somebody says, Baptist preacher, why do you guys immerse? Why do you dunk people under the water? Because it's what they did here. Uh, they went down into the water, they came up out of the water. We know that John the Baptist, uh, when he, it says he baptized in the Jordan, and the particular place in the Jordan where he baptized, Scripture tells us he baptized there because there was much water. Uh, the reason why we immerse is not because we're trying to be contrary. It's not because we're trying to be fussy. We're just trying to do what the Bible says to do, trying to follow as closely as these as we can to what the example of early Christians sent us. And so that's why we practice baptism by immersion. Now, if you've been sprinkled or if you've had baptism through pouring, uh, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. Uh, but as we study God's Word, uh, the word baptizo itself means to dip or to dunk. And I'm going to give you another reason here in just a minute why I believe baptism is by immersion. But so far, why be, what are the benefits of baptism? Number one, we're following an example set by Jesus. Number two, we're following an example of the early Christians. Number three, we have fulfilled the Great Commission. Look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Beginning in verse 18, this is what we call the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Baptism is part of the Great Commission. When we go make disciples, part of making disciples is baptizing. And I think as Baptists, we've done a good job over the years with evangelism. We have these crusades. We have vacation Bible school. We have lots of different things we do to bring people to Jesus. What we haven't necessarily done as good a job of is making disciples. And uh, sometimes that starts with baptism. We don't follow up someone who makes people trust Jesus. We call it making a decision. We don't trust follow up those decisions with baptism and discipleship and teaching. So when we're baptized, we're fulfilling the Great Commission. That's a benefit of baptism. Not only that, in Colossians chapter 2, we're going to park at this one here just for a second. Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him, that's Jesus, you are also circumcised. 
circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, which is in which you were raised with him through faith and working of God, who raised him from the dead. Not only when we're baptized, one of the benefits we get is the fact that we are following the example set by Jesus. Another benefit, we are following the example set by early Christians. A third benefit, we fulfilled the Great Commission. The fourth benefit is given by Paul here in Colossians. We seal symbolically with our baptism. We seal symbolically a covenant with God that's already taken place between God and the new Christian. If you studied your Old Testament, you understand that God commanded all the male children over eight days or eight, when they were eight days old to be circumcised. And that circumcision was to show that that man was a man of God, that that man was part of the covenant, that that man had, he's given himself to God. Unfortunately, the Jews took circumcision and they turned it into the same thing people have turned baptism today. They say that you can't be saved without circumcision, that as long as you're circumcised, everything else is all right. A lot of folks today say you can't be baptized or you can't be saved without being baptized. And as long as you're baptized, everything else is all right. What Paul is saying here, that true circumcision isn't circumcision of the flesh. It's circumcision of the heart. Y'all remember our Romans class last week? That's what we talked about. Paul says just because you're circumcised on the outside doesn't mean you don't need Jesus. So what Paul, the example that Paul is giving them is a reminder that these Jews weren't justified by circumcision, they were justified by faith. Circumcision was a physical reminder of a spiritual transaction. All through the Old Testament, especially in the book of Jeremiah, you'll see the phrase, circumcised of heart. Circumcised in the heart. It was never about cutting off the foreskin. It's never been about a physical operation. It's always been about giving your heart to God. Cutting your heart off from yourself and giving your heart to God. Here's a wonderful example given by Paul to compare circumcision and baptism. Neither one are necessary for salvation. That's something that takes place between the sinner and God through the Holy Spirit. It takes place in the heart of a sinner and in heaven. The Old Testament Jews were circumcised to show that this had taken place in their lives. As Christians, we are baptized to show that covenant. We're making identification. I've been saved. I'm in the covenant of God. I'm in the family of God. I, I've been adopted into the family of God. I'm going to be baptized to show this. Could you imagine a Jew refusing to be baptized, or refusing to be circumcised? That would be unheard of, wouldn't it? Yet we have Christians that refuse to be baptized. And, and that's a shame because they miss a huge blessing. I'm not saying they're not saved. That's between them and God. But when we read Scripture, the first next step that Christians take after salvation is baptism. Then we're going to look at one more Scripture in the lesson here. Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. When we're baptized, the first benefit of baptism we get is the fact we have followed the 
set by Jesus. The second example, we have followed the example set by early Christians. The third benefit, we have fulfilled the Great Commission. The fourth benefit is through baptism, we seal symbolically a covenant with God that's already taken place between God and the new Christian. And then finally, in Romans here, the final benefit, we are reminded of what takes place in salvation. Romans 6, beginning verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died this day and live any longer in it? For do you not know as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, Death no longer has dominion over us. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What baptism does is it gives us a physical picture of what's happened to us spiritually. When we go down into the baptismal water, that is symbolic of us dying to ourselves. Going under the water is symbolic of us being buried the same way Jesus was buried in death. Us coming up out of the water is symbolic to show that we're partaking. It's symbolic of that resurrection power that as Christians we now have, right? Once we're saved, we're going to be raised. We're going to live forever. That's another reason why we teach baptism by immersion. Is because burial is all the way underwater or underground. Baptism should be all the way underwater. Just got a question. How many of y'all seen a lot, of, a lot of graveside services out here at these cemeteries? Have we seen a lot of graveside services? Have you ever seen a graveside service where they put the casket in the ground and then throw two or three pieces of dirt on it and walk off? We don't bury them. We understand that burial means so baptism, the reason why we as Baptists teach baptism by immersion is because it is symbolic of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's symbolic of us dying to our old life and being raised to our new life. Does that make sense to everyone? Baptism is beneficial. Is baptism necessary for your salvation? No. But can I tell you? That I, the longer I walk with Christ and the longer I read Scripture, those Christians who refuse to be baptized maybe want to ask themselves, have they been saved? Uh, and I, once again, salvation, as a preacher, I've never preached anybody into heaven, and I've never preached anybody into hell. That's not my job. That's above, way above my pay grade. But baptism was an important part of the walk. And it's something that there's so many benefits 
get out of that. And, and I, I thought about there's several different ways of coming at this in my mind I had today. Uh, but this, I, I kind of settled on this one just to show some different things we accomplished with baptism. This is by no means all the New Testament says about baptism. I encourage you to get a strong concordance. Uh, and if you want to be real with you, you can get on Google uh, and type in baptism. And you'll have all the resources. Used to, when I prepared sermons, the problem was getting enough material to preach because uh, you had to go to all the physical books and all the different commentaries and all the this and all of that. Now you push Google, the problem is I've got too much information. And a lot of it isn't very good. But you find all the information on baptism you want. But remember, we are talking about growing up in Christ. Uh, a baby is born. That baby cries. And to me, one of the first stages that a baby will go through is eating solid food. Just a little bit of solid food. Leander wasn't very old before she started eating mashed potatoes. We've been feeding her that baby formula and we happened to be out in a eat three restaurant and Leander was crying. She wanted something to eat. She wasn't even talking very well yet. She wanted something to eat and we said, oh my gracious, we've forgotten her formula. And, and, and Leander wouldn't hush. She hadn't stopped since. Uh, <laughs> she's not here, so I'm talking about her. And Leander said, we have to feed her something. She's not, all these people will start looking. So we gave her a bite of mashed potatoes. And boy, Leander's eyes lit up. And she says, my, my, I think she's trying to say more. And that child ate mashed potatoes as fast as we could pump them down. And we said, well, I guess it won't kill her. And uh, she, she came through it just fine. But that was the first thing about my daughter when I realized, you know what, she's growing up. Uh, one of the first things as Christians we show as newborn Christians to show that we're growing up in Christ is baptism. And so I'm going to leave you with this message. What's your next step? Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to be immersed? Do you need to join the church? But can I tell you, before you do any of that, do you need to be saved? If there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, we need to start with that. And I, when you give a gospel invitation, we're going to give the gospel invitation. Do you recognize, you, you recognize you're a sinner? Recognize you can't save yourself, but you understand Jesus Christ died for your sins. Cry out, admit you're a sinner. Believe in the work, trust in the work of Jesus on the cross. Believe that's enough. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Please save me. And Scripture tells us God will save you. That's a prayer God will always answer. If we seek God, we'll find Him. That's a promise God gives us. And maybe you've done that, but you need to take your next step. And can I encourage all of us here to pray about what our next step is? And if you're sincere in that prayer, the Holy Spirit will show you. He'll teach you. We 
we've always, I don't care if you've been a Christian for two hours or two decades, you've always got to take a step. God never calls us to sit still. Every time you read a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're always walking. You're always moving. You're always progressing forward. What is your next step? Let's bow. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for showing us these examples of baptism in Scripture, Father. And as we think about what we've said today, I pray your Holy Spirit will go to work in all of our hearts. We are all at different places in our walk. Uh, and I just pray you would convict us of what we need to do next. I pray if we realize we need to do something next, that we'll start praying about it and we'll... Uh, ask questions if we have them and, and just Father I pray that we would all get into the center of your will in Jesus name Amen